You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We'll get to those stories in just a moment, but first, breaking news about a man wanted on a Canada-wide warrant for assault. Vancouver police say Mohammed Majidpour is now in custody. The VPD say Majidpour was taken into custody late this afternoon. A member of the public recognized him from the release Wednesday. He has been charged in an attack on a 19-year-old woman on September 27th. Police say the victim had been hit in the head with a large pole while she was walking to school near Dunsmuir and Camby. Southwestern BC has reached another troubling milestone as a result of this unseasonably hot, dry weather. Right now, a wide swath of the south coast is at the highest drought level there is. Kylie Stanton has the details and the potential impact. Just a few inches of water cover the rocky floor of the Oyster River, and it's getting lower with every passing day. Essentially, it's, there's been no rain at all. The lower mainland, the Sunshine Coast and West Vancouver Island have now been upgraded to drought level 5, meaning adverse impacts are almost certain. In order for the drought to end, we're actually going to need some pretty strong, impactful storms. And, and dare I say, atmospheric rivers will, will, will be needed to actually end the drought. The delayed start to summer, now rolling over into the fall, is what's driving the trend. So we're continuing to see temperatures well above normal and markedly very dry conditions continuing well into what usually is starting to become a wet period for the fall. Back in June, rainfall hovered around 130% of normal in Victoria and Vancouver. In July, that jumped to 152% in Victoria, while dropping to 78% in Vancouver. But it was in August things really started drying up, with precipitation at just 4% of normal in Victoria and 19% in Vancouver, dropping even further in September, down to just 3% in Victoria and 14 in Vancouver. Those conditions are now continuing into October as we still have yet to see much rain. Smaller communities like the Sunshine Coast and Gulf Islands that do not have the capacity for large reservoirs are now being forced to conserve, meaning a ban on all outdoor use of drinking water, no lawn watering, sprinklers, boat or car washing, or filling of pools. I mean, we're in the water business. We uh, build swimming pools. That's our primary business. And I have heard uh, that if uh, we don't get rain by uh, early November, that we will run out of water. At this point, the long-range forecast is showing no signs of any major rain. But when it does show up, it will likely bring along some wind as well, presenting a whole new host of problems to deal with. Kylie Stanton, Global News. All right, let's bring in Yvonne Shell, our meteorologist now with more on the situation and the potential fallout here, Yvonne. Yeah, and all efforts right now really should be on conservation. That's the big uh, uh, thing that we're driving home at this point. And with that, with the level five now being upgraded right along the western edge of the island, Sunshine Coast and all areas for the lower mainland, we're still sitting extreme across the island and extending into the southern interior as well. So with that upgrade, we're at a level five now. right now. Adverse impacts almost certain, and that's what we're seeing. And from the BC drought and water, what the response for the 
these measures potentially for conservation and lo local water restrictions, so watch those in your area. Regulatory action will likely be possible, and we're also looking at emergency response. So we'll be tracking this very closely, especially with those impacts in the coming days and no significant precipitation. We are going to see a bit of a blip in the forecast as we get into early next week, but it's not going to have enough of an impact, especially for the fire danger rating sitting at high to extreme. We've also had some record-breaking heat through the day today. I'll have more on that coming up very shortly. Chris? All right, we'll talk to you in a few minutes. Thanks, Yvonne. And the ongoing drought means summer watering restrictions are now being extended in Metro Vancouver. Stage one seasonal watering regulations will now be in place until the end of this month to conserve the region's drinking water. That means residents and businesses are allowed to water their lawns only one morning per week. Trees, shrubs and flowers can be watered in the morning with a sprinkler or anytime by hand. Metro Vancouver says reservoir levels are still within the normal range for this time of year, but these precautions are being taken to ensure that remains the case. And another sign of just how dry it is out there, a brush fire on Burke Mountain in Coquitlam today. The fire was spotted around 8 this morning above the Port Coquitlam and District Hunting and Fishing Club. Thankfully, crews managed to gain the upper hand quickly. Officials say it's too early to confirm what caused the fire. Well, drought conditions are having a disastrous impact on spawning salmon right now. From the central coast to the south coast, many creeks are drying up and rivers are at extremely low water levels, leading to mass die-offs and fears about the future of several salmon runs. Below the surface of Burrard Inlet right now, it's teeming with coho salmon. At the end of their lives, they're trying to swim up the streams and creeks to spawn. But this fall, they're finding this. Many of the waterways that they usually have no trouble navigating are at or near record lows, with some completely dry in places. So this is Noons Creek in Port Moody. There's a hatchery upstream, so this actually supports a small salmon run. But right now, this creek is a trickle. This would be a challenging place for fish to spawn until the conditions change. It is an absolutely dire situation. Ruth Fraser has been involved in salmon enhancement at the Mossum Creek Hatchery since the 70s. She's never seen the water this low this late in the fall. What we're concerned about right now are coho returning to all these small coastal streams that are lacking water right now. The dry weather has been threatening spawning salmon up and down the B.C. coast. This video, shot near Bella Bella, shows what may be as many as 80,000 pink and chum salmon dead in dried up streams there. Situations like this don't help the overall health of the stocks of the salmon, that's for sure. With no sign of any rain in the near-term forecast, there will be worries about the coming chum salmon run, expected to be big. As for the cohos out there waiting for their moment, the clock is ticking for them. They can only last so long, they've stopped feeding. Their bodies are physiologically changing and they will die without spawning. In Port Moody, Paul Johnson, Global News. Richmond RCMP are asking for your help in solving a hit and run involving an 11-year-old boy. Police say the boy was walking his bike in a marked crosswalk at the corner of Number 1 Road and Tucker Avenue Wednesday morning when he was hit by a grey minivan. RCMP say the minivan then went on to sideswipe another vehicle before speeding off. Police say the driver appeared to be a woman in her 50s. The boy was taken to hospital and has since been released. That child has done everything properly, right? He's, he's got off his bicycle. He's pushing his bicycle, walking it across a cross, crosswalk. 
other vehicles are stopped for this particular one and this driver uh, after striking this child has made no attempt to stop to see how that child is doing uh, as well as allegedly hitting another vehicle before leaving the scene. We are, uh, we are concerned. Police say they have several witnesses, but they're still looking for more information to identify the driver. A hike in the North Shore Mountains takes a painful turn. A doctor who knew his injury was serious enough he'd need help getting down. His rescuers had all the skills and equipment to get him down, but had to leave him there anyway. We'll show you why next. Any gigs out there? You got a garage? Give we'll me a call. Garage. <laughs> it's like starting over for the lead singer of the iconic band 5440, the new musical venture with his daughter that makes it a family affair. That's later. And after her recent death, exploring how Loretta Lynn was propelled to stardom with an early visit to Vancouver. That's Squire's story a little later. Right now, the North Shore Rescue is well known for dramatically plucking people from backcountry trouble. But provincial regulations are sometimes preventing them from doing what they're trained to do. The recent case of an injured hiker stuck on a ledge is one example. They had the tools and skills to rescue him, but as Julie Nolan reports, they weren't allowed to do it. Some rescue stories are a cautionary tale. I was lucky on this particular route. Setting out for a hike last week, Jason Clement dislocated his shoulder and became stuck in a crevice on Crown Mountain. Yelling for help, he was eventually spotted by North Shore Rescue by waving his barely charged, lit-up cell phone from a narrow vertical seam in the rocky terrain. As a doctor, he was able to pop his shoulder back into place, but... If I'd had a head injury or a bad leg injury or it was raining or it was colder, those extra hours I think would be critical. Found with night vision goggles and hanging on to hope that the team from North Shore Rescue could help, their hands were tied by red tape, only able to drop supplies to Clement. Instead, a large military helicopter made the rescue hours later, something it's not designed to do in that terrain. The inability to lift somebody out at, at, uh, in the dark could make the difference between being able to save their life and pulling out a, a body in the morning. We are trained to do it uh, through the the regulator, Transport Canada, and we were not able to do it. Not able to because the rescue team is not authorized by the province to do helicopter hoists by rope at night with night vision goggles. At night, we only have half the toolbox. We have night vision capabilities, but we do not have a way to insert and extract our members. North Shore Rescue has been involved in a pilot program for the last couple of years, still waiting for the green light, even after a promising meeting with officials in May. BC Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth says he's on side. It will be the first of its kind in Canada and we want to make sure that it's done right. Meanwhile, North Shore Rescue worries for the safety of its team. Without being permitted to use night vision goggles and perform hoists, members may spend hours doing a highly technical rope rescue in the darkness or wait until morning. They say too many lives are being put at risk as the darkness of the night falls earlier. It's a progressive approach and most importantly, it's the safest way forward for our volunteers who have dedicated their lives to this cause. And don't want to see rescuers or stranded hikers go without this cutting edge technology. Julie Nolan, Global News. A warning to pet owners in North Vancouver where the RCMP are investigating two incidents of possible dog poisoning. 
The Mounties say on Tuesday and Wednesday, two separate dog owners reported their pets became ill after injecting something at Linmouth Park on Cotton Drive. Sadly, one of the dogs died shortly afterward. RCMPs say it's too early to tell if the incidents are the result of a deliberate attempt to poison the dogs or if they accidentally ingested a toxic plant or mushroom. We, nevertheless, we're asking um, residents to be vigilant and uh, just be on the lookout and report any suspicious activity to us. And also just be a lookout for your dog and what they're ingesting, what they're eating. Anyone with information about these incidents is asked to call North Vancouver RCMP. Just ahead, a shocking civil case against a former teacher. It's taken me a really long time to come to terms with uh, the situation that I was in. Groomed for sex by someone she trusted. The warning signs she wants other young students to watch out for. And Kitts Point residents fight back against a First Nations mega development that will transform their neighborhood. Traffic is steady in both directions over here at the Botello Bridge tonight with just some leftover volume southbound on McBride through the Queen's Park stretch. Sussex Insurance has auto plan offices inside the Real Canadian Superstores and Walmarts throughout BC. Find your nearest location at sussexinsurance.com. Open 9 to 9 every day. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Botello Bridge. The Sanuk project on Squamish Nation land is billed as an historic development, but the Kitts Point Residents Association is taking issue with how it came to be. They're asking for a judicial review of the service agreement between the city and the First Nation, claiming they should have been consulted. Kristen Robinson explains. Just east of Kitts Beach and west of the Squamish Nation's reclaimed Burrard Bridge lands is Kitts Point. Its residents association formed by settlers in 1906 to, according to its website, care for and protect the special neighborhood and mitigate negative impacts. This project is the largest First Nations economic partnership in Canadian history. The Prime Minister recently announced a $1.4 billion loan to ensure the Squamish Nation's Sanok development will go ahead. Initiatives like these our reconciliation in action. 11 residential towers will be built on these four hectares, including 6,000 rental units and 1,200 homes, generating an estimated long-term return of more than 10 billion. But the Kitts Point Residents Association is seeking a judicial review of the way the Sanok Services Agreement was reached, claiming it is unlawful, unreasonable, and in breach of the Vancouver Charter. Municipalities enter into contracts with third parties all the time. The petitioners allege the city breached the rules of procedural fairness by passing a resolution at an in-camera meeting without first providing residents affected by the development with an opportunity to make representations to council. Citizens don't have a right to interfere with contracts. If uh, a resident had the right, the uh, business of a municipality would grind to a halt. We wanted to ask the two KPRA members behind the petition why they felt entitled to take the city to court. But neither was available for an on-camera interview. The land is owned by the Squamish Nation and the petition acknowledges it is not subject to city bylaws or regulations. Kristen Robinson, Global News. A woman who says she was groomed by a teacher and sexually exploited as a teenager is launching a civil lawsuit. She says she wants to ensure that school officials 
never turn a blind eye to this happening again. Sarah McDonald has the story. I don't mind using my name. Jocelyn spoke exclusively with Global News about the allegations behind an explosive civil claim, naming the Greater Victoria School Board and one of its former teachers, alleging she was sexually groomed and exploited as others in authority turned a blind eye. It's a big reason of why I want to talk about this and come forward about this. Um, I think the general population knows that the age of consent when someone's in a position of power is 18. So I didn't consent and I couldn't consent. So after the passing of my dad, like the soccer field was a place that I could just be free. And he was my coach for multiple teams. In August, Jocelyn's former coach, Brent Garraway, received a lifetime ban from teaching primary, elementary, and secondary students in the province after admitting to a physically intimate relationship with Jocelyn. Now she wants Garraway and a school district to pay. They are in a position of power, responsibility, and trust. And the young athletes that they coach or that they teach. Um, they are unable to give informed consent, full stop. This isn't a gray area. The allegations stem from the early 2000s when Jocelyn was a student at Oak Bay Secondary. Garraway, a teacher and her soccer coach for several years. She says she was groomed by Garraway for a sexual relationship, which started when she was in grade 12 and lasted for more than a year. This has taken almost all of that time for me to wrap my mind around. No criminal complaint has been filed. Jocelyn says she wants to see systemic change within the school district, alleging her intimate relationship with Garraway was an open secret among some faculty members, yet nobody intervened. There were other teachers that knew it was happening. Um, there were, you know, the majority of students knew. There were very widespread rumors about it. In 2020, Garraway signed an undertaking to no longer practice teaching. The complainant is seeking damages for lost wages, clinical anxiety and depression, among other things. It's the, the negative psychological impacts are wide and confusing and I've dealt with them and I'm still dealing with them. Neither Garraway or the school district have responded to the civil claim. Sarah McDonald, Global News. Up next, a rescue group helping to put food on the table. These days it's been close to 140 people. How one person's discards could be another's dinner. And eat what you want when you want it. That's a very bad Katy Perry impersonation, but you can eat what you want without it, without an inflated bill. New rules for food delivery services, helping restaurants thrive. From the stories we need to know to a look at what's happening right now around us. When BC needs to connect, BC turns to the source that brings us together. Global News. Connect. Having some issues with the counterflow lane this evening at the Massey Tunnel, and traffic is still just one lane out of Delta, so slow on the approach from south of Highway 17A. Through a charitable partnership between Kermac Cares for Kids and Surrey Memorial Hospital, when you choose Kermac Collision and Autoglass, you also support the Surrey Memorial Children's Health Centre. And Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. RCMP and Coquitlam are renewing their appeal for help to identify the suspect involved in an indecent act in August. According to police, a man exposed his genitals to a woman shopping at a store on Westwood Plateau on August 19th. He's in his 40s, 5 feet 9 with a medium to heavy build. He was wearing a black shirt, dark shorts and black and white slides. 
If you know who he is, you are asked to call Coquitlam RCMP. Three more major corporate sponsors are pulling out from Hockey Canada's men's programs for the upcoming season over its handling of sexual assault allegations. Canadian Tire, Chevrolet and TELUS all announcing the move today. TELUS says in a statement that the lack of action and commitment from Hockey Canada to drive necessary cultural change has led them to make the move. It also includes pulling sponsorship from the upcoming World Junior Championships in Halifax and Moncton. Tim Hortons and Scotiabank also both recently withdrew their sponsorships for the upcoming season. Uh, there needs to be wholesale change. They need to do it. They need to realize that uh, if, it, if we have to create an organization, get rid of Hockey Canada and create an organization called Canada Hockey instead, um, people will look at doing that. Uh, the, there is a lack of understanding that they've lost the confidence of Canadians. And the sooner they get to that, the better it'll be for everyone. And an Okanagan golf resort says it's no longer going to partner with Hockey Canada. Predator Ridge's action comes as the sports organization continues to face criticism for how it's dealt with the sex assault allegations. The resort's sign used to proudly include a Hockey Canada logo, but not anymore. The vacation destination says it removed the last fixed signage today. The company confirms to Global News it's now permanently severing ties with Hockey Canada. The resort says this is the next step in terminating its relationship with the sports organization after suspending all activities in June. Tired of waiting in line at airport security? Well, now there is a way to skip the queue. Vancouver International Airport announcing a new program called YVR Express. Between 72 hours and 90 minutes before your flight, passengers can book a time to go through security. Right now, the system is only in place for flights departing for the U.S. at E-Gates between the hours of 6.30 a.m. and 8.30 p.m. Once at the airport, passengers just head to their security checkpoint within 15 minutes of their reservation and show staff a QR code. The provincial government is permanently capping fees charged by food delivery services. The cap was put in place as a temporary measure in December of 2020 during the pandemic, but it's now being made permanent. That measure means companies like Skip the Dishes and Uber Eats cannot charge more than 15% for fees on food and 5% on other charges, including service and delivery. It was set to expire at the end of the year. We believe this is a fair way to move forward for people in both the restaurant and food delivery industry. Delivery was maybe 15% of our industry before the pandemic. It went to 80 or 90, and it settled in at about 25 or 30. So it's an important part of what we do. It's an important part of our profitability. And the fact that the government today announced cost certainty for us is amazing. The measure also prohibits delivery companies from reducing driver compensation. Now, an appeal for help from a lower mainland charity that aims to reduce food insecurity in the region. As Catherine Urquhart reports, Food Stash Foundation is finding itself tens of thousands of dollars in debt while trying to assist more people struggling to feed their families. Once a week, people line up and pay what they can for their fruits and vegetables at the rescued food market. That's after most of it goes to more than 30 nonprofit organizations. Every month, Food Stash rescues more than 80,000 pounds of food, items often nearing expiration or deemed imperfect. Every month, tens of thousands of pounds of food from over 20 different grocery stores across Vancouver. We're delivering most of that food to 35 other organizations 
largely in the downtown east side. In Canada, we waste a lot of food. A survey by National Zero Waste Council found 63% of the food Canadian households throw away is considered avoidable, meaning it could have been eaten. For the average Canadian household, that amounts to 140 kilograms of wasted food per year, about $1,300 worth. These days, Food Stash is saving more food than ever, thanks to walk-in coolers and a freezer inside their new warehouse at First and Main. But that cold storage cost $130,000 and was installed on a loan. It's about $70,000 more that we have to raise before the end of the year to finish paying them off. Food Stash helps nourish thousands of people across Metro Vancouver while reducing waste a successful charity that started in a basement suite and today improves countless lives. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Help out if you can. Also uh, coming up, revisiting Loretta Lynn's Vancouver roots. I somewhat thought perhaps these were the Beverly Hillbillies we were visiting. Catching up with those who knew her before the whole world discovered her talent. Plus... The 50-50 father-daughter duo with a strong connection to 5440. This is BC with Jay Durant is brought to you in part by Van Camp Freightways. BC owned and operated for 75 years. BC's ombudsperson wants to hear from residents who were affected by last year's extreme weather and needed help from government programs. A review is underway into how effectively that help was delivered and whether improvements need to be made. Global's Randy Marie Adams reports. British Columbians have seen their fair share of natural disasters in 2021, and now the BC ombudsperson wants to know what, if any, issues should be fixed within two of our disaster relief programs, the Emergency Support Services and Disaster Financial Assistance Program. Well, I think that uh, I think we're all aware of the fact that extreme weather events are becoming more common, uh, and uh, everybody who uh, is an expert in the field says that there's two big things that... Um, uh, governments and society have to do, and that's mitigation and adaptation. And that includes government programs that go to support people who are impacted by these extreme weather events. Chalk says the questionnaire was built to find out from the public if they were served properly and fairly by these programs. Were they aware that these programs existed? Uh, if they were, and if they had a chance to participate in them, was the service timely? Was it was was the benefits or the uh, or the funding that was made available, was it adequate um, to meet their needs uh, in the context of the emergency? Programs like these are vital and many places over the last year have had to rely on them. Most notably are towns like Linton, Merritt and Princeton. Princeton's mayor Spencer Coyne tells Global News that they were pushed to the brink with issues involving government funding. There's a lot of bureaucracy that gets in the way of the actual money flow. Um, the fact that the money has to come from the federal government and then siphon down through the provincial government. Um, it really slows down the process. Coin recommends everyone take part in the questionnaire and says the more voices, the better. It just comes from local government. It's not always, I don't think the voice is as loud as if it comes from residents as well. If residents are speaking 
um, about their experiences. And those echo the same thing that local government has been saying. I think it carries a lot more weight. Federal government provided BC with over $870 million for flood and fire recovery funds. And yet, according to COIN, there are still residents in Princeton who have yet to receive any funding. Randy Marie Adams, Global News. All right, well, we don't want to see atmospheric rivers like we saw last year, but we heard from the River Forecast Center that we need a lot of rain and maybe less on the heat, Yvonne. Yeah, it was another record-breaking day. We do have a brief blip in the forecast, and I'll have that coming up in just a moment, but it was a hot one today, and we could see some record-breaking heat once again for tomorrow. A couple of the spots are samples. Agassiz, these are unofficial, but it'll give you an idea. 29.3, Chilliwack, 29.2, the old record of 27.8. That was set back in 1952. Squamish also getting up to 29 degrees. Port Alberni along the island. Inland, 27.5, and and Lytton, always a hot spot with the record high today, up to 27.1. We do have hazy conditions uh, through the day. We've got poor air quality, especially leading in towards the Tri-Cities. Right now, we're sitting at medium. Most areas, though, still sitting at a low risk for the lower mainland and extending across the island as well. But we'll be watching this very closely because we're not seeing any reprieve, no significant precipitation, and we'll continue to track that heat with another hot one for tomorrow. Now, overnight tonight, it'll cool down. We'll dip down to 12. We do have some fog patches in the mix. That'll take us in towards the morning hours and then hazy through the day once again with those temperatures 20 it's away from the water getting up to 25 but it'll be hot with the humid exit will feel closer to 28 degrees fire danger rating we're still sitting at high few spots even at extreme the island included within that along the Sunshine Coast and the northeastern corners of the province. And with no significant precipitation, we're not seeing any relief for the fire danger rating or our drought. So please be very diligent in the coming days and try and conserve water. Now, the temperature trend showing us that bump in temperatures once again for Friday into the start of the weekend. The reprieve will be on Monday. It'll be brief and then we'll rebound once again. Central interior could even see some fog patches in the mix. Much of the southern interior will remain into the low 20s. We will see Whistler even getting up to 25 degrees and along the south coast will move from fog in the morning hours hazy conditions in the afternoon heat is on 25 humidex up to 28 that change in the forecast will be for monday very brief showers 16 degrees and a bit of a breeze for areas that are closer to the water tonight's central windows weather window this one spectacular sunset captured in parksville by emily mm. guys beautiful with the tide out like that thank you very much all right, 5440 singer neil osborne has been to the top of the canadian music scene but even he admits He's starting out from the bottom again with a new album he made with his daughter, Candle. The duo is called A Family Curse, but at their upcoming show at the Commodore, it'll be more like a family reunion. Jay Durant has more. When you're a newer band hoping to break out, you have to start with some pretty small gigs. We played someone's garage, which, also was, really which was a good. party. And then we played someone's fun. living room, which was really also cool. Fun. It was life on the road without roadies for Neil and Candle Osborne on the recent do-it-yourself tour of Ontario. People came up to us, wow, man, you guys are so great. If only we could have heard you. Yeah. Halfway through, and you're like, is my <laughs> mic on? And the crowd's like, no. no. <laughs> Born into music and hanging out at 5440 shows as a kid, there are so many early influences that helped inspire Candle's solo career. To be with the band and all their families and the kids and we'd all play backstage and, you know, stand side stage watching the show and look at the crowd and it was just, it was always so much fun. No creative differences in their father-daughter band, but there can be some different dynamics. 
He stormed out of me on me before a show once and left me alone to set up for the whole show. Then comes you don't back. Feed me. It's not five a good minutes thing. to stage time. And you're like, I'm sorry. Want to play a show? At times, there have been nieces and cousins, brothers and uncles playing on stage in this collaboration called A Family Curse. This is my kid. She followed the footsteps, which, you know, it's always a That's curse. That's a curse. Yeah. That's a curse. <laughs> you never follow your parents' footsteps. But on the road, it's just a couple of bandmates trying to make it big and having a blast, no matter what venue they end up playing. Any gigs out there? You got a garage? Give me a call. Find us on social media. Jay Durant, Global News. <laughs> Looks like they're having fun at least. <laughs> Sounds great. Uh, don't forget if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC or you've started a band, maybe mm -hmm. just email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. We have a parking lot in several studios, so come and play here. Swing on by. We had an outdoor barbecue not that long ago exactly. to get everybody, everybody together. Mm -hmm. uh, very cool. Okay, Squire standing by, uh, taking a look at sports. Well, the Vancouver Whitecaps, of course, are right now one win short of the playoffs. Uh, we're climbing the mountain, we see the peak, and now it's the hardest part to do it. For Vanny and the Caps, to get to the peak, they have to play their best road game of the year this Sunday in Minnesota. Also coming up, the amazing story of Loretta Lynn launching her music career in Vancouver. Consumers having issues with scammers, price gougers, corner cutters, con artists, or big business bullies. Help is here. Andrewa investigates consumer matters on Global News. Whitecaps dared to dream about the playoffs, and it, it's a dream that's still alive, isn't it? It didn't look like it was going to be alive about a month ago. Mm -mm. It looked like this was going to be a bad season, Vanny's job was going to be in trouble, and now everything has turned around, and we know the Whitecaps have somehow, some way, pulled themselves out of the abyss, and now they're just one win away. Final day of the regular season is Sunday, win that game against Minnesota, and Vancouver makes the playoffs. That's all they have to do beat Minnesota. Tie is not good. It's good for Minnesota, not for Vancouver. However, this game is on the road and the Whitecaps do not travel well. They'll need to bring lots of gravel and their home style soccer to get the job done. There is a noticeable pep in the Whitecaps step as they prepare for what is essentially a playoff game before the official playoffs begin. The fact they control their own destiny this Sunday is nothing short of a soccer miracle. Sure, they've had a lot of good luck from the teams above them losing, but they've also done their part, winning three straight and playing their best soccer of the season when it's counted the most. We said it all along if we take care of us, and we might have a chance, and now that chance is here, you know? I think we took care of what we could control, and uh, yeah, now it unfolded the way it did, and now we have another chance to take care of our own destiny, you know? It's, it's nice to have that at the last game of the season. 
after that horrible start, the first eight games, we had the number two teams in the Western Conference. We had made 39 points in 25 games. So that's the thing that uh, that uh, makes us uh, confident that we're going to play well. Can he cut it back for Cavallini? He does! The Whitecaps have taken it up a few notches, but the last three games have all been played at home. The Whitecaps have not traveled well this year, just two wins in 16 road matches. But they somehow have to pack up the game they play at BC Place and roll it out in Minnesota. We need to be all 11 players on the same page. We can't have like 10 or 9 players who's going to be there. We need to have all 11 to be all focused, locked in, defensively perfect. And then I, I think that we have a lot of quality and that we're going to score goals. You know, those are big games. I think everybody wants to be in those big games and play in those big games. And I certainly missed it, you know, and, and you know, it gives you that playoff feel, that playoff itch that this is a playoff game, you know, ultimately. The Vancouver Whitecaps this morning hired former national team goalkeeper and gold medalist Stephanie Labe as its general manager of women's soccer, which will include looking into getting another women's pro team for the Whitecaps, possibly in an all-Canadian league. She also acknowledged the major issues the Whitecaps have had in the past with their women's program. I want to show that I'm going to be a voice to continue to advocate for athletes to have safe spaces to speak about these issues because abuse has no place in our sport, in any sport in Canada. And I promise to do my absolute best to take this club in a completely new direction, to stand up, to have the hard conversations, to enforce transparency and honesty moving forward. And I have extremely great ambitions for this club, and I'm excited to reconnect this club, as Axel said, back to the community, back to the fans that support this club, because at the end of the day, this club is nothing without the players and without the fans, and we have to maintain that connection. Many of her former teammates uh, were in Spain today playing a friendly against Argentina. Canada up 1-0 late. Chloe Lacasse pokes in a loose ball here. Canada wins it 2-0. They'll play Morocco in a friendly on Monday. Well, the fans who showed up in Abbotsford last night got quite an exhibition of exhibition hockey between Vancouver and Edmonton. Elias Pedersen scored a couple of third-period power play goals to help the Canucks win 5-4, their first preseason win this year. And he scored after he survived a scary hit from behind into the end boards by Marcus Niemalainen. But Pedersen says he learned something from that hit. Uh, I saw a replay. Um... I mean, I, I think I can, I can definitely do a better job at protecting myself. I saw the replay and I was kind of like leaning forward a bit. So, sure, he hits me hard too, but I think I can do a better part at protecting myself. This was also part of the game last night. Watch this goal by Connor McDavid. The speed right around Quinn Hughes and then the quick move right in front of Spencer Martin. That's the most impressive thing about this. This is all done at high speed. That last little move to go forehand, backhand, and then roof it within the shadow of the goaltender, not many can or ever have been able to do that. Uh, the Edmonton Oilers have released Jake Furtanen from his pro tryout contract, meaning he's now a free agent again. This is no surprise. Six exhibition games, only two assists, did not make much of an impact with Edmonton. Ironically, his last game for the Oilers, and maybe in the NHL, one is, was in his hometown of Abbotsford last night. Thursday night football. Oh, uh, yeah, this is <laughs> pretty bad game so far. 6-3, yes, at halftime. Matt Ryan 
somehow has forgotten to play quarterback in Indianapolis. But Russell Wilson hasn't been much better. And as you can see, the Broncos are only up by three, six, three. There was many points in last night's Canucks Oilers game as there were in the first half of that football game. Bit of a dog game there for sure. All right. Thanks, Squire. Uh, all right. The coal miner's daughter and her connection to BC coming up next. Jordan Armstrong standing by with a look ahead to Global News at 11 tonight. Jordan. Sophie, another of BC's prolific offenders is wanted on a province-wide warrant tonight. 32-year-old Tyler Jack Newton, who has previously been convicted of manslaughter, failed to show up for a court appearance while out on bail. If you see him, call 911. We'll have more on his long criminal resume tonight at 11. Plus, a local show of support tonight for Iranians who are protesting their government's treatment of a young woman who died in the custody of the country's Morality Police, the full story at 11. Sophie? All right, sounds good. Thanks, Jordan. Well, you'll remember earlier this week we noted the death of Loretta Lynn, the country music legend, who a lot of people didn't know has a very strong connection to the Vancouver area and right across the border in Washington State. Squires got more. That's right. She, uh, way back in the day, if you were around way back in the day in Blaine, you might have seen her singing at Bob's Tavern, which I think became Bill's Tavern, or maybe it's the other way around. It was a tavern nonetheless in Blaine, <laughs> but she was up here quite a bit as well. In fact, there's quite a connection between Loretta Lynn and this city. When I was born to call daughter. Loretta Lynn was proud of her Kentucky roots, but in the 1950s, she and her husband Mooney moved to the border town of Custer, Washington. And it was because of that, radio and record people from Vancouver helped start her career. One of those who saw her potential was Vancouver disc jockey Joe Chesney, the father of White Rock City Councillor David Chesney. Well, back in the late 50s and the early 60s, my father, Uncle Joe Chesney, had a country music radio show on CJOR in the afternoon called Melody Ranch. And I'm not sure exactly how he met Loretta and Mooney, but uh, very quickly him and Mooney started to take the tours they could pick up out of Washington State and run them on up through the interior and over onto Vancouver Island. One of the places she played in Vancouver was the Chicken Coop, where she was seen and signed by the Vancouver-based Zero Records, who put out her first single, Honky Tonk Girl, in 1960. We all know what Loretta Lynn became after those early days, but to the Chesneys, Loretta and her husband were family friends who'd invite them over for dinner in Custer, Washington. Just remember her and Mooney both being very nice people. Uh, you know, real, you know, excuse the phrase, really, but salt of salt of the earth. I didn't, and as I say, she wasn't a big star in those days. So, you know, I just dealt with her as she was. Her and her husband were friends of my dad's. That's sort of the relationship. A relationship that was never forgotten by Loretta Lynn, who made sure to reach out to the family when Joe passed away. Oh yes, yes. No, we would get Christmas cards. Uh, you know, rather frequently from. Loretta, and I remember when my father passed away, we received uh, word from Loretta that she was sorry that Dad had passed. And that was the thing about Loretta Lynn. She never forgot her past or the people who helped her along the way, especially the ones in Vancouver. And we won't forget her either. No, we won't. Well, it's cool they got a plaque up for that, and the old chicken coop is long gone now, but preserving that little piece of history is... The more really you cool. dig in, it's remarkable how many times this city's name comes up in the history of a lot of huge stars yeah. in the music community. 
Well, all of the work you did on Little Mountain Sound. Well, I mean, a lot of went, yeah, the ones who went there. through Little Mountain Sound were incredible. But Loretta Lynn, it's just, it goes on and on. It just never seems to end. Something in the water. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And there's not enough water out there as we are in drought level five right now. Well, let's see what's coming up for the next five days here. With Another the, uh, hot one for tomorrow. We could see oh. that record-breaking heat once again, even with the humidex up to 28. Hot for both days out of the weekend. Blip in the forecast. Looks just a chance of showers. Not a significant amount of moisture on Monday. And then back into the sunshine for Tuesday so far. Remember this when the rain does finally yes, start. Yes, exactly. Keep Lock that in the back of your mind. Lock it away for <laughs> sure. Thanks very much, Yvonne, and thanks for watching, everyone. Have a great night. Good night, all. <laughs>for stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.